Hi, everyone, and welcome to my fifth attempt at recording this. My name is B Highland. I'm the writer and creator of Violet Beach, a fiction podcast that, if you're listening to this, you probably already listened to. If not, please go listen to the first two seasons, or else you will be very confused. All right, so I'm going to answer some questions you all sent me through Tumblr and Twitter. I'm going to answer them to the best of my ability, and I'm going to try to be funny. I might not be funny, but oh well. Let's, let's get this started. So uh, first question comes from an anonymous Tumblr user. It is, uh, how did you come up with the name Violet Beach? It's very cool. Thanks. Bye. So Violet came from a desire to have a signature color for the show. I also sort of wanted to use a secondary color um, to show the collision of two worlds. And I like sort of the red-blue combination as it exists in media as a very like common trope of red and blue as opposites, even though from like a color perspective, they're not like, you'll see a blue side and a red side, like your standard player one, player two, I guess. I find it really interesting, and I sort of wanted to key into that sort of meta commentary that I like putting in the show. I also like the sort of sapphic implications of violets, like the flowers, because five-sevenths of the leads are women who like women. Uh, The beach part actually came later. The show was first called Violet Lands and was set in a college town in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is where I grew up. The town was probably near Germantown and Gaithersburg, and that's actually where AJ being from MoCo came from. Uh, Just a little reference to the show's past, and same with Lands University as the name of the college in town, you know? Um, so in the end, I ended up really focusing on what do I want the aesthetics of this show to be. And I was thinking a lot about sort of rainy days in Bethany Beach, Delaware, which is very beautiful, very melancholy. Uh, Bethany Beach is definitely a place a lot of tourists from the DC metro area head to in their summers. It's, it's lovely. It's a little tiny town. It's gorgeous. So I started thinking about like a smaller kind of bougie, sadder sister city, And that's sort of where the idea of Violet Beach as a town came from and where the setting really started to make sense to me. So another anonymous Tumblr user asks, uh, what gave you the idea to start up your own podcast? So basically it boils down to I'm an annoying gay hipster and I love to hear myself talk, but it's also because it's a good and largely accessible medium to put out work as a writer and a comedian. It seemed like a pretty good bet. I already made a podcast, a comedy podcast with Teresa Carr. If you know what it is, you know what it is. If you don't, good. Yeah, I just, I really like the medium. And on a related note, another anonymous user asks, what's your favorite thing about podcasting as a medium and your least favorite? So I really like the room for experimentation that podcasting allows. Um, Even within a sort of high concept comedy, I can still do like a show within a show, a teen romance, a found footage episode. Those are all in, those are all in season three. I'm really excited about them. Um, You'll see soon. Um, And something I really dislike about podcasting though, is the lack of immediate feedback. Uh, With the exception of a few great reviewers out there, I'm going to shout out Will Williams, who wrote a really great review of season one. There's also iTunes reviews, obviously, but those are few and far between, and they're sort of a one-time thing. They can't really stay constantly updated. So there's not really this clear reaction to a show. What do people like? What do they not like? And there's a lack of easy and constructive ways to communicate um, as a creator with my listeners, you know? I, I... Like, there's Discord and there's Twitter, but in my opinion, they're not the most productive for actual crit or actual reactions to episodes. Um, Twitter user FanFilmFan asks, 
How much planning do you usually do before writing an episode? Do you usually start from the beginning or write whatever scene you have ideas for? So Benji's episode in season two was sort of a meta commentary on my own writing process. It was clearly outlined at the beginning, but it got sort of tangential and off track. Is tangential a word? I don't know. Um, but all in all, I have a four season plan with points and emotional beats I want to hit in each season and each episode. I stick to said beats I lay out even if I get off track. So it, it's genuinely helpful for me to have like a full, like big picture goal. Um, and I do have like a writing order. I have three groups that I write the episodes in. So I write um, episodes one, four, and seven together. I write episodes two and three together. And I write episodes five and six together just because of like there's a sort of similar narrative voice between the characters that are in those episodes. One, four, and seven. So Teresa, Robin, and Angie all have this sort of tendency to wax poetic. There's a lot of exposition in these episodes, I feel just because it's ultimately necessary for the, those beats within the story at large. And then episodes two and three, so Charlotte and Benji, are typically a bit more comedic, but they sort of dive into what is the mystery for this season, what is the emotional center of this, of this season. And then episodes five and six, H.A. and Elaine sort of tap into how does this end? How, how do we wrap this up? So I think it's pretty interesting. It's a it's a way to write that I find useful, sort of sticking to the same themes for every group of episodes I write. But that's that's just me. I don't know. And I do have some scenes planned ahead of time. The haircut scene in season two was written around the same time I wrote the pilot, just because I wanted to like look at how does Teresa develop? Where do I want this character to end up in a few months' time? There's a scene, which is one of the first scenes I ever wrote for the show, which made me really want to make this show actually happen as something people could listen to immediately that won't be an actual part of the show until the actual finale, like the finale proper. And then season three, episode three, is um, a concept I've wanted to hit since the beginning, so I'm really excited for y'all to see that. Another Tumblr an anonymous user asks, uh, which character is most similar to you, most dissimilar? Also, if each character was a song, what song would it be? So I've said before that I project hardcore onto each and every character. So this is a pretty difficult question for me. Right now, I'd say I'm probably most like Benji because I'm trying to be a very positive, creative force, even though I typically kind of fail at that. I'm very chatty and excitable, but I'm very panicked and unfocused at the same time. And while I consider myself to be a pretty bright person, I'm also a little unobservant. Also, I love me a good comic book, you know? Um, I'm, Elaine is maybe the least relatable, but I take some umbrage with that. She's what I kind of want to be like, but I'm not. She's somewhere close to satisfied with life in spite of the world and in spite of her own personal issues. She's also... Um, She's a cat person, and I'm a dog person, so that doesn't really work out in the end, I don't think. The song question is also difficult. Um, I make Spotify playlists for what each character likes, so that I can listen to that when I'm trying to like get into their headspace when I'm writing an episode for them. But I don't like coming up with like a theme song for each character is difficult. Um, so I'm gonna give you like um, a song I would put on a 2013 eight tracks fan mix for each of them. Y'all remember eight tracks fan mixes? I do. I made a lot of them. Um, so for Teresa, I'd use "Presumably Dead Arm" by Sydney Gish. It's a great song from one of my favorite albums I've listened to recently. 
Um, it very much tackles themes of like loneliness, wanting love, but not really knowing how to get it. And sort of cynicism about the future with a hope for the betterness of society nonetheless. With Charlotte, I'd choose Switzerland by the Sonderbombs. It's a great, great tune. Um, it talks about this like need for escapism with another person, a worry about the status of the world around her um, while she feigns apathy and still retains a genuine heart under it all. For Benji, I might choose Absentee by Jack Campbell. It's a great tune. Um, it's about anxiety and a fear of abandonment and love nonetheless and the collusion of all of those things. Uh, for Robin, I do A Burning Hill by Mitski. It was the first Mitski song I ever heard because she put it on her Tumblr before she put out Puberty 2 by like a year or so. It's a great song. Um, it has this like theme of a desire for control and chaos, but being overwhelmed by your own sadness and this desire to start over and over and over again. Uh, for AJ, I'd choose Art School Wannabe by Sorority Noise. It's like accepting your own flaws and identity and fearing that you're not living up to this role you imagine yourself in. Uh, for Elaine, I'd go for Till Death by Japanese Breakfast. It's about the fear of death and love of love despite that. And for Angie, it's I Like Giants by Kimmy Dawson, and I don't really feel like I have to explain why. It's just a great song that sort of tackles this like feeling small in the world. A Tumblr user as a lesbian asks, what is your dream medium to make Violet Beach in if not a podcast? And the answer is TV. I'm trying to be a screenwriter, and if I ever get the chance to make my own show, I will pitch the original idea for Violet Beach to everyone. I'll get into that original idea later, but it's, um, it's a real fun one. Same Tumblr user asks, what are three things I would change or do in the future if I had unlimited budget? So I would have implemented dialogue earlier, obviously. Um, I would have hired an editor for season one. We had a rough launch, to say the least. And I want to really, like, thank Ollie again for helping me go back. And I would have, like, longer, more, like, plot-heavy episodes. And she also asked if there are any major plot points or characters dropped from the original concept. To which I say, oh boy, howdy, yes. It started out as a three-person apartment of childhood friends turned college students, which were Teresa and AJ and then Angie, who moves in in the pilot. Um, she had fallen out of touch with the group until she dropped out of Harvard her junior year. Um, then there was Benji, who was still Teresa's employer, a new-to-town married couple, which is Robin and Elaine, and a set of college-age twins, Charlotte and a character named Jamie. Um, so Jamie and AJ were going to be together, and it was going to be adorable, but uh, seven is a much more literary number, and he also had very little to add to the story as a whole. The show developed further as I was writing it, and I wanted to focus on this theme of communication, and I decided that little age blips between people already friends of different ages in the same generation was a pretty interesting way to tackle that. And also in the early, early drafts, it wasn't an alternate universe, but it was aliens. It was aliens. Any favorite non-spoilery season three lines I could give out? Um, this is paraphrased, but 
um, just because it's got some spoilers in it, but it's a line I love a lot. So I went to go get groceries the other day and oh my God, it was it chaos. It's like, so it's like snowstorm season, just a bread, milk and eggs, you know, I mean, I'm vegan. So it's like almond milk and vegan eggs, the latter of which they don't even sell at the mini mart and the Wegmans is closed. So you can't get them anywhere. We talked about vegan eggs for a solid five minutes last week. What are they, what are they made of? Vegan eggs is people. It was my big, uh, my very good bit that I did, if if we can recall. I just like that line a lot. I think it's very fun. Um, and then, do any of the gang have pride plans? Um, there is genuinely a plot point in season three that the gang leaves to go to DC Pride, and do other things. But still, like um, there is an episode called Out of Town, and there is a reason for that, and it's very silly. Um, Arizona Johnson, who did some great guest work in the season two finale, if you haven't listened to it already, she's a delight. Um, if Violet Beach were turned into a TV show with an infinite budget, who would you want to direct and who would you cast at each character? First of all, I want to shout out all of y'all who are adding with an infinite budget in parentheses as if I'm not already imagining an infinite budget. Um, so Violet Beach was actually originally pictured as a TV show. I have a pilot script running on my hard drive. The concept was basically like a supernatural apocalypse hit a small town in Maryland and nothing else. How do the people in that town cope with that? It was character driven. It was a comedy with dramatic elements and it contained the very mild soft horror of the podcast wherein, look, the world is war, but the real terror is coming of age. Um, it was a sort of like an indie fun show with like very like losty elements to it. I don't know. I was picturing it as like a cult show. It's very silly. Um, so I'm not really familiar enough with young actors to cast, mostly because I don't like it when I see like a 30-year-old playing somebody my age, because what does that even do? So I'm actually going to say I like the current cast a lot, and hopefully they'd stay on. I want it to be a fairly indie show, so a breakout actors type of thing, you know? Um, from a directing style, again, I'd like to kind of stay in creative control of it. But it would be very, like, Anderson, YTD-inspired just because, like, their directing styles are really influential to my own. So, Ollie, my delightful editor, asks, Since it's E3 season, which one of the gang is a gamer and what are their favorite games? So, it's obviously the two nerds who would label themselves gamers, though Teresa would probably do it ironically. Um, Teresa's favorite game of all time is probably Wind Waker because she played it with her sister and it was the one time she ever really like felt close to any of her family members. She generally really likes story-driven games though. Like I think The Last of Us probably meant a lot to her when she first played it. Uh, Benji loves platformers. Celeste is probably his favorite game in recent memory, but he has a really big soft spot for Pokemon. Like, I'd say he's a Gen 2 stan, and I think we all know that. I also think there are, like, a lot of Mario Kart tournaments between the gang as a whole, but that's not, like, real gamers, you know? So, uh, Dear Blue Travelers on Tumblr asked, um, One of my favorite things about the show is that you're having characters go into this flip side even though it's scary, and then having characters return from it. Stories who don't do that and maintain the mystery forever of what could be over there stress me out. So, my question... Why do the voices of people from the other side mess with tech from Violet Beach? Will that get clearer from the other side? Is the sky dead there? I really like the element of soft horror where there's room for the unexplained, which is why I've sort of reclaimed that genre for the show of late. But I'm going to be real with you. 
Like, 90% of the lore for this show is hand-wavy Cold War bullshit. Like, the lore Bible says, and I quote, hand-wavy Cold War bullshit. So basically, it's tech from the 50s and 60s, plus experimental government weird science that the people from the other side have grown used to. So, like, May can hear through the static and Charlotte can't. It's really a matter of adapting, and also there are, like, mind-altering substances and weird science that is pretty much magic. I go into that a little bit more in season three, but genuinely, like, I like leaving some elements of the unexplained, but it's like, it's because of the Cold War, basically. It's like, I'm really into that whole conspiracy element. Ajay Pandey, who plays Benji, asks, uh, what are all the characters' relationships with their parents? We know somewhat about Angie, but what, if, what about the others? So Teresa's relationship is kind of strained as hell. She's probably the smartest of her siblings, but her parents think she chose an impractical field. She also has a lot of religious trauma surrounding the way the church was emphasized in her life growing up, and that made the distance a lot worse. She's also super closeted, so make of that what you will. With Charlotte, her relationship with her parents is just distant. They're always working. The lack of parental attention made her very negative relationships with her siblings much worse. And that, like, spirals into more, like, of her sort of rebellious behavior and her sort of attitude towards the world. Benji has a really positive relationship with his mother. Um, she was a single mom, um, got pregnant with him with a boyfriend in college who broke up with her before she even knew she was pregnant. Um, but she just gave it a go, and she raised him with very little help, just the occasional babysitting by her brother, who's a professor at Lands. At 47, soon before our show is actually set, she was offered a pretty fancy job in Brooklyn that she moved out to. They're still on really close contract. They, like, call every night. It's sweet. Uh, Robin's mother passed when she was two, and her father, who was sort of a stressed out but generally good guy, came out as gay when she was 10. Married her stepdad, an activist, when she was in her 20s. But she loves her dad a lot, but feels disillusioned about her father and her mother's relationship, which she idealized as a young kid. She and Elaine's house was actually her dad's house before they moved up to Maine to retire and be chill old men in hot springs together. It's great. It's sweet. I want to talk about her dad's a lot, but I'm not going to bore you with this sappy old man romance I've written. Uh, AJ and his dad, I'd very much compare it to the relationship that drives Ladybird. AJ's dad, David, is a high-pressure, kind of critical psychologist, but he would do anything to protect his son. AJ occasionally rebels for the sake of rebelling. He's a child of divorce, but his mom doesn't have custody because she wasn't great. Elaine was kicked out when she came out in college. It was an unexpected reaction. She knew they'd be uncomfortable, but not that uncomfortable. She doesn't talk about it much. She likes Robin's stepdad a lot and considers him like her real father figure at the moment. With Angie, her parents aren't happy that she dropped out of the school everyone in her family has gone to forever. They both teach at Lands and they know it's a good school, but there's like a reputation to uphold, you know? She hasn't been cut off financially, but she's sort of given the cold shoulder at family events. She's a little bit overdramatic about it, but like it's not a great relationship right now. Um, there's also a Tumblr in on, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. I'm going to wrap up the sort of Q&A segment of this now with... Does Benji believe in the there are no true forests on Earth theory? Um, it's, it basically states that all trees were cut down and no new trees have been allowed to grow since their full, to their full height. 
All trees on the planet right now are just saplings. There have been a couple of real forests, but they were cut down and round rocky plateaus were the only evidence. So petrified tree stumps. I think he'd be fascinated by it, but wouldn't believe in it. Um, Same here. But it's a super neat theory and I love it a lot. I want to read more about it. I've only read a little bit about it, but I love it a lot. So I'm going to wrap this up with a little info about season three. Um, It's coming out mid to late July. I'm still figuring out the logistics of that. I have two more episodes to write, one more episode to edit of it, and I'm sending the files to Ollie soon. I have the first two episodes recorded. I need to record episode three, and I'm still waiting on the files for episode four. There are a few guest voices in it. I'll be playing a character named Rosencrantz in episode three. She's a delight. She delivers part of that vegan eggs line from earlier. Uh, I don't know. I'm really excited about it. Um, my friend Vic is in episode one. Um, it's a delightful little episode. I'll play a clip from it after this bit. And yeah, it's sort of like how I wanted the TV show idea of it to be, where it's just like, so how do we cope with this apocalypse? And there's also an episode that takes place out of town that I'm really excited about. So yeah, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to play a little clip from season three. I keep saying two. I've recorded this like eight times. I'm sorry. Uh, now, and I hope you enjoy it. Please note that this is unedited. So this is just pure, pure audio, pure, pure, just three teens messing around in a bedroom. Enjoy. Yeah, we've addressed it. I think that's uh, step one of recovery. Let's not. Uh, I, okay, really I see a really great chance for you to open up for us to like form a friendship. And you know, I'm all about bonding and like, Look, I have my own parental issues, so, you know, maybe we can relate on that later, but do you see that? See what? Okay, so I don't want to be conspicuous, right? You're talking very loudly. Okay, so I want to be conspicuous, right? Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Love you. Uh, please follow us on Tumblr and Twitter at Violet Beach Pod. Check out our Patreon, um, patreon.com slash violetbeach. Hit me up on Kofi, kofi.com slash Highland. I'll write you a little thing for that. And follow me on Twitter at Highland. It'll be nice. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. Goodbye.